It's my turn. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Praise Jesus, though. Amen? Amen. I love hearing people's stories. I remember that Good Friday service when you were just bawling uh, over there. Praise God that he changes our lives. Maybe you're watching uh, at home this morning. Maybe you're in this room and you've just, you've dug yourself into a pit and you don't feel like you're ever going to be able to climb out of that pit. I love King David's testimony when he was deep in sin. He, he talks about how God came to him and rescued him from the pit and set his feet upon solid rock. Uh, that is what Christ Jesus does, regardless how messed up we make our lives. Jesus Christ has the power to put you on sure footing once again. That sure footing is his work in your place for your sin. It is the gospel that we cherish and believe in. It's the gospel that we gather here today to celebrate and worship uh, Jesus for if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We've got a lot of work to do today. We're going to move from chapter 4, verse 17, all the way through chapter 5, verse 5. So yeah, that's happening. While you're turning in your Bibles, let me do uh, just go ahead and say uh, thank you for being here. Uh, good, looking, good looking crowd this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you're watching, we are adding more tickets this next week uh, to uh, our morning services. If you could see, I don't know if they've ever panned and kind of shown you how we have things set up here, but uh, there's still some empty seats that we can fill and still be uh, safe and social distancing. We want to make those seats available. So not 50 tickets this week, 75 tickets. We've got sterilized air. Nobody's talking about COVID anymore anyway. So... <laughs> um, so, hey, uh, we, we want to get back into the swing of things here pretty soon. So we're going to raise it to 75 tickets per service, then 100 tickets per service after a couple weeks if that goes well. And then we'd just like to, to reopen the, the safest possible way that we can, the most responsible way we can. Pastor Joe and I went and got tested for COVID this past week. We both have it. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. We're both negative. Uh, You know, after a couple weeks this, we just wanted to make sure we're not putting anybody in harm's way. Uh, But even as we reopen, you know, if you you fall into those categories where uh, you might be more susceptible to to death uh, because of COVID, please stay at home. We want you to be safe. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 4. Father, thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives this morning. Thank you for how you encourage us through the stories of others, how you help us to remember the great work you've done in us by hearing someone else uh, profess uh, their faith in the great work you've done in them. Uh, may we all be encouraged this morning. We, we need encouragement this morning, Father. Uh, and, and your words are the words of truth and your words are words of life. So, Father, I pray that through your gospel, the good news that you give to us through your son, Jesus Christ, you would lift us up, encourage us, give confidence to us as we see in your word how this new life should be lived that you have brought us into. We love you. We ask for you to help us, King Jesus. Send the Holy Spirit that we may hear your word and apply your word to our lives. It is in Jesus' name. We pray these things, and everybody said, 
Amen. We're really moving this morning into some some nitty-gritty, practical ways that we should be representing Jesus in this world. There's really six big ideas that we're going to talk about today. Um, We're going to get to those big ideas in verse 25. So I'm going to read from 17 to 25 uh, and try to get through that pretty quickly so we can get to these, these big ideas of what our lives should look like now in Christ. But before we even do that, let me remind you, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays down the foundation of the gospel for the Ephesians. He doesn't want us to open up to chapter four here and see this list of do this, do this, don't do this, and think it's our job to somehow save ourselves. No, these, uh, this list that we're going to find here is simply uh, the fruit of what God has already done in us. Chapter one starts out with God choosing us, predetermining a destiny for us in Christ. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but he's the one who did the work to make us alive in Christ Jesus. And he didn't just make us alive. He brings us together, both Jew and Gentile, to create this one new humanity, this this people that are going to represent him as his body, with him being the head of that body in this world. We are called into not just a great salvation, but a great life for Christ in this world. And people today need to see the light of Christ in his people. Amen? You may be the only Christ someone ever comes in contact with Christ in you. You're not little Christ. We're not little gods. Don't take that the wrong way. But Christ is in us. And we are to reflect him in this world. We talked about it all through Haggai uh, last week. We talked about how Christ has done this, this great work in bringing us together, making us this new humanity, and he's given us unity Right? We have one Father, we have one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. We, we have this great unity that keeps us together in Christ. And we are to protect that unity and, and equip others uh, to, to share that unity through gifts that he gives. He's done everything that we need for us to be together, maintaining that unity, making much of Jesus Christ. And that's when we pick up here in verse 17 with the new life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now remember, walk in the first century and the way Paul uses this word, it doesn't mean taking a stroll. It means the entirety of your life, everything that you do, everything that you want to do, your life on display is this word walk here. So he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Do Now, why would he? There's a lot of Gentiles in this church, right? Paul planted this church. Gentiles got saved at the gospel. And and Paul's already said Jew and Gentile together make up this new humanity. So why does he single out the Gentiles here? Well, the Jews always had a frame of rest. Remember, God had given his scripture to his people in the Old Testament. He, right, we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob make up the 12 tribes. And, and you know, Moses, uh, he, he's getting his prophets uh, to, to write down the words of God so the people can have it. 
The Jewish people grew up with the word of God. They understood who God was. They understood what what life in uh, following God should look like. The Gentiles had no frame of reference at all. They were coming from very pagan lifestyles, pagan ideas, and pagan practices, which is why Paul uh, says here, Hey, listen, there's a way to live and there's a way not to live. And hey, you Gentiles who have been out there in this pagan life, you've got to come away from that in Christ Jesus. Watch verse 18. Actually, let me start over. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I want you to notice as we move down uh, through verse 24, the idea of the mind uh, is pressing upon us here. I don't know if you've ever read any, I'm very thankful for the Bible, but I don't know if you've ever read any self-help books. No? Okay, you're all very great people, confident people. When I was a young man, I needed a lot of help. So I read a lot of self-help books. And one of the things that is interesting is the self-help industry really pulls from Scripture when it comes to how we are to think. How you think matters. In fact, Scripture teaches, as a man thinketh, therefore he is I can't wait uh, till we get to uh, Philippians chapter 4. It's going to be a while. We're going to start Judges after Ephesians. Then we're going to start Philippians. But in Philippians chapter 4, I get to preach this great sermon on the things that we should be thinking about in Christ Jesus. Things that are lovely. Things that are honorable. Things that are true. Things that are of good report. Think on these things. The Bible tells us we've got to renew our mind. Romans 12 one and two is very clear. Paul says, I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable act of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My dad gave me a great book, gave Sarah and I a great book when we first got married called Telling Yourself the truth. There are many Christians saved by God's grace, but but not yet mature in Christ who are constantly self-sabotaging their life, their walk with negative thoughts, destructive thoughts. How many of you, when, when you turn on the news or something happens, you automatically go to the very darkest place you could possibly go, and oh, this is it, no, never again, and oh, my family's going to be torn apart, no, uh, my job career is over me. You go to that, that very negative place. We are to be renewed in our minds. What We should tell ourselves the truth. What is the truth that God doesn't save us? To let us tank our lives and our families. He gives gifts. He strengthens us through the Holy Spirit. He came to give life and to give it abundantly. We have nothing to fear as his people. We can, we can land our feet when we get out of bed every morning confidently knowing that God is who he says he is. He's for us, not against us. Right? That, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We've got to be careful what we say to ourselves. Sometimes the devil doesn't even need to work hard because we're our own worst enemy. 
Be careful. Little mind, what you think? That's little eyes, what you see. I, I might have made that up. Right? But the way we think matters to God. Watch. As he says, no, don't live like the Gentiles. They're futile in their thinking. And he talks about the, the, the mental life of these people that we should not reflect. That we should not act like anymore now that we are in Christ. What is, what is the one hope of Paul in the chapter 1? That we would grow into maturity in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Imagine for a moment, if you would, imagine we figured out time travel and could go back to Maybe some of the great Italian Renaissance masters, uh, those famous paintings that we still stand in line to, to see today at, at famous museums around the world. Imagine what it would be if that, that master of art had painted this beautiful portrait. It was a masterpiece, and you walk up to it and eh. I don't know what they'd say. And, their native language, but they would be offended, right? Because, because they're a master at what they do. And they have perfectly put the paints on, on the canvas in a way that, that sparks emotion and, and wonder and, and people stare forever. And then there's always that person. Eh. Paul, this is what Paul is communicating about the Gentiles. They're alienated from the life of God. They, they walk around like the, the beasts of the field. There's no, there's no pleasure in the handiwork of God. There's no notice of the handiwork of God. They're completely, in their ignorance, they're completely alienated from him. Even though God's hand, his character, his nature can clearly be seen in his creation. Which is why no, everyone is without excuse to know him. He can be found, seek, and you shall find, Scripture teaches. But they were alienated. They completely missed the fingerprint of God upon his creation. They lived for themselves as if there were no greater purpose in the world. You know, there are two philosophical uh, streams mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament, so they were around predominant in the first century. One is the Stoics. If you've ever been to a funeral where someone, uh, you know, someone has died, obviously funeral, somebody's dead, families up front. If you've ever seen a person whose loved one was dead and they're standing there emotionless, you might hear someone say, he's so Stoic or she, she's so Stoic. The Stoics believed you had to master your emotions, you had, you had to be in complete control of yourself regardless what was happening in the world. And then there is the opposite of Stoicism, the Epicureans. It is the Epicurean uh, understanding that we find predominant in the city of Ephesus at this time. The Epicureans' mantra was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? Let's, we've only got a short time to live on this earth. Let's 
party hardy and get to it and explore every ounce of pleasure that we can milk uh, from this place because we're not going to be here for long. And it is that Epicurean understanding that Paul is trying to show. Uh, they're darkened in their minds. They're, they're living in futility. They're living for just today when there is a God of all creation and they're missing out on his will, his plan, his glory in the earth. They're alienated from the life of God due to their hardness of heart. I want to talk about that for a moment because our hearts are, you know, it's Jesus and his gospel that takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. But did you know that an unbeliever with a hard heart, that that hard heart can get harder, not softer? Right? Anytime we are confronted with a truth about who God is, and what God desires, and we turn from that truth, our hearts become even more hardened against God. We see this most clearly in the Exodus story of God delivering his people from an Egyptian slave master, a Pharaoh. The Bible says ten times that, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then the Bible ten times says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And here's the story. How does, how does God harden a heart? By giving one more chance of repentance. Pharaoh, let my people go. Or I'm going to have to send this plague upon you. God graciously and mercifully comes to Pharaoh with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for Pharaoh to repent. For Pharaoh to say, you're God. I'm not God. We should do things your way. Ten times God came to Pharaoh with a choice and opportunity Ten times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm the God in this situation. We're going to do things my way. Your heart can become every time you reject the grace and the mercy that God offers. Our hearts become harder and harder. And this is the pagan situation without excuse, can clearly see the, the attributes of God in creation, but they continue to harden their hearts and live their way and not God's way. They have become, verse 19, I told you we were going to get through this first part quick. I lied. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Listen to this. Greedy. To practice every kind of impurity. Greedy. They, they, they sit around and all they're thinking about is what they can get into next that will bring them pleasure. And they don't care what the cost is. They're, they're greedy for impurity. That is a powerful image. They're callous. Like the, I don't know how many of you have ever played stringed instrument like a guitar. Right? In, order, in order to get good at a guitar, you've got to form calluses on your fingers. You don't need to feel nothing right here to be good at a guitar. So that way you can just press those strings down hard and move up and down. I've seen guys uh, play till their fingers bled. They didn't even know they were bleeding because their finger, they, there was no feeling left in their fingers. That's, that's, that's the heart's. Of these pagan Gentiles, these Epicureans, they're just callous to anything that is good, pure, wholesome, holy. They are greedy to do anything and everything that is impure. Listen, I know we look out in our world today. 
There's a lot of people who aren't Christians. There's a lot of people who aren't Christians who, who do nice things, who do good things. But the reality is for the unbeliever, their hearts are hard. They are callous toward the things of God. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And now Paul does something kind of funny here. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny. Sometimes when the elders and I are involved in long text chains, how many of you know it's not good to make decisions over text messages? All right? Or email chains. We've learned, let's just get together and meet. Because after so many emails, there's a word that I think Daniel Purnell used the first time. And we've kind of repeated it over and over. And we've had to apologize for it over and over. Sometimes we get a little snarky <laughs> with one another. Well, Paul, he gets a little snarky with the Ephesians here. He says, that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. I'm talking to you like you're believers, uh, and I hope I'm not wrong in that. I hope that you really have heard the gospel message and believed. A uh, little, little snarky comment. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And here we go in verse 22. Here's this, here's this new idea. God's made us this new humanity. So we are to put, the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come, Paul says in Corinthians. Right? We have not just been saved. We have been given new life. When Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins, they buried him in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And at that moment, you and I rose anew with him, dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. We have new Life in the gospel that we celebrate this morning. So Paul says to these Ephesians in this very pagan place of Ephesus. We talked about, it's been so long now, but we talked about all the temples and, and Diana and, and all of the, the, the prostitution and all the things that were happening in this ancient city. Paul says, in Christ, put off the old self. It's corrupt. Its desires are deceitful. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your, again, minds. How do we renew our minds? We stay in God's word, not thinking to ourselves what we believe to be right in this world, but allowing God to teach us what is right. We renew our minds, not being conformed, but transformed. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. One of my favorite portions of scripture is where Paul says, clothe yourselves in Christ Jesus. 
That is powerful imagery. And that is, you and I, we have the ability this morning to to wrap ourselves in Christ Jesus, his perfection, his holiness. By the way, the only righteousness we're ever going to have that is a pure righteousness is the righteousness bestowed upon us by Christ himself. Clothe yourself, wrap yourself in Christ, his righteousness, his perfect human life this morning. It is how we are made new through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. Wrap yourself in Christ. Six big ideas. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Therefore, there's the transition. Paul has been building up all this time from verse 17 to here to say there's some ways that you ought to look. There's an old you and there's a new you. And here's what the new you should look like. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one to another. One of another, excuse me. I I knew I had that wrong when it came out of my mouth. One of another, it's important. But before we talk about this, this community that God has placed us in, the first movement from the old self to the new self is the movement from lying and falsehood to telling the truth. God speaks truth. His words are true because he is true. There is another who is the father of lies. He is a liar from the beginning. He uses lies to deceive. And we are to move away from falsehood, lies, to the truth that comes from God. Why? Because we are part of this new family, this new body, this new humanity in Christ Jesus that has been given unity. And what will disrupt that unity faster than anything else? Lying to our brothers and to our sisters. Like our Lord Jesus, we must not get caught up in the falsehood of of this world, the false narratives of this world, but we are to conduct ourselves believing the truth and speaking the truth. Did you know it's completely unloving to not speak the truth to those around you? We've got this crazy idea in our world that if you're someone's friend uh, and you have to support them at all costs and you can never speak any truth into their lives because all that matters is their truth and you just got to sit there and watch them tank their lives without saying a word or you're not really a true friend. That is the opposite of a true friend. That's the opposite of a good parent. It's quiet. Listen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stay grounded right here, but as you know, there's so much going on in this world. I had to turn the television off early this week. I hadn't watched news in several days, which is why I'm happy this morning. All right, because nobody's telling the truth. Nobody. Every organization. There's no such thing as journalism anymore. It's dead. It's gone. Nobody out there is doing it right. Everything is slanted. Everything is political. And it's turning people against one another. What's the solution? What's the balm for our sickness? Jesus Christ and his truth. 
It's his truth that we need. Man, I, I, man that news, I get so, uh, I'm having seizures and panic attacks. I turn off, I open God's word, and oh, there it is, right? Not everyone is a racist. Not everyone's a criminal. Not all cops are bad. Oh, there is truth. We need truth. Because without truth, we, we, we delineate into lower levels of thinking, deceit. Everyone's against us and, and we're against everyone. It's, it's, it's how political parties are dividing our country. They're doing it on purpose. It's, it's driving me crazy. We need truth. We've got to move from falsehoods and agendas and backdoor realities to the true, to the wide open, beautiful gospel truth that Jesus Christ saves sinners of whom we are chief. Amen. If you if you think you're like Paul. First movement. How do we how do we put off the old self-print? What does this new life in Christ look like? It looks like people who tell the truth. Even when we don't want to. Because it's the only way we can stay unified as the body of Christ. It's communal language. Truth is important because we're communal beings. We have to live with one another. And so we have to be honest with one another. Verse 26. Next movement. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, here's what I love about this. Notice the Bible doesn't say, in order to move from old self to new self in Christ, you can never be angry. It's not what it says. It says, be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. Listen, if you have a pulse, there are things in this world that you should be angry about. Anytime we see any kind of injustice, it should make us angry because people do things they shouldn't do and it harms and it hurts other people, right? We should be angry about things, but in our anger, we should not sin. We should not give opportunity for the devil to use our anger in a way that is more destructive instead of bringing hope and peace to this, this, war, this unjust world that we live in. Be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Don't go to bed angry. How many of you have made the mistake Man, back when Sarah and I were young, I, I loved Jesus and I read my Bible and we'd get into fusses over stupid stuff like folding the towels. You've heard that story. And before you know it, it's three o'clock in the morning and we're still mad and you know you have to do all that hard work of saying you're sorry and all this so you can finally go to bed because you're going to be tired. Right? You get into your 40s, you're just like, I'm going to bed. Blech. I ain't staying up to three o'clock apologizing about this. Right? And isn't it true? You go to bed angry? You wake up angry. It's crazy how, how the psychology of it works. You wake up more hardened. You got to deal with your anger. It's okay to be. Jesus was angry. My favorite story in the Bible. Isn't it funny? This is so funny. Jesus is outside the city, right? And they bring this, they bring this woman to him and, and they accuse her of sin. And Jesus, you know, 
Who has no sin? Cast the first stone and your sins are forgiven. And oh, oh, Jesus is a great guy. And then he gets to the temple and he makes a whip. Somebody was there at that moment as Jesus is driving out the money changer from the temple. Somebody there is saying, what happened to that whole uh, don't cast the first stone thing? What happened to that sins are forgiven? Right? It's okay to be angry. Jesus was angry at injustice and unrighteousness. These things are going to, if we have God in us, we're going to be angry at injustice and unrighteousness as well in all of its forms. But in our anger, we've got to move from anger to self-control. Self-control is a beautiful word. And we, we have sayings like, clear heads will prevail Right? And these things are true because when we're angry, we tend to do stupid things. So when we're angry, we don't need to move into sin, but we need to move into self-control. And we'll talk more about anger again down in verse 32 or verse 31. So, old self to new self. Put away lies and falsehood and speak truth. To be angry, but in our anger not sin and to move to self-control. Self-control is a spiritual, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And we need to see more fruit of the Spirit in God's people, amen? Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's the third movement from old self to new self? No longer do we steal, but rather we work hard so that we have something to share with our fellow brothers and sisters. Listen, Scripture is very clear about work ethic. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Think about your life and where you are from and your context are where, where are the shortcuts you're taking, right? And, and who, shortcuts always cost somebody something. You know, in our world, this stimulus package, I don't know what you got. Every adult got 1,200 bucks for every kid, 500 bucks. That's a lot of money. I got four kids. We got a nice check. We painted our house. Right? But here's what I know. I felt guilty taking that check and cashing it and using it. Right? Because here's what I know. Nothing's free. Nothing is free. Somebody somewhere, probably our great, great, great grandchildren, still going to be paying off that stimulus package. No, somebody is always paying for something, even if we think it's free to us. So where are the shortcuts we're taking? Right, because the Bible is clear. Let's not be takers. Let's be hardworking so that we can give. We have something to offer to other people. Scripture's uh, solution to our problems in this world is not redistribution of wealth. It's generosity. We've got to move from being takers to givers. And that's going to take hard work because you don't reap something where you haven't sown seed, amen? So we got to sow, we got to work hard so that we can be generous with our brothers and our sisters. This is the movement from the old life to the new life 
in Christ Jesus. We've got to hurry. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's a couple things here. But let's first talk about the movement. What's, what's, what's the next movement that we need to, to move from? Harmful speech to edification. Hurtful speech to, to building, speech that tears down, to speech that builds one another up. Listen, our words are important. Right? The scripture teaches that life and death rests in the power of the tongue. Now, there are some people who have gone way overboard and they talk about how we can speak things into existence. That's not what the Bible talks about. But you can completely destroy the demeanor of your fellow man through hurtful words and harmful words. God says no more of this coarse talk, but instead build one another up that people may experience. I love how it says it. Um, that it may give grace, may your speech give grace to those who hear the words. Now, last week I told you, go back and look at your Facebook posts. Who are you being an ambassador for? Is it Christ or is it some other idea or movement or philosophy? Right? That was, that was painful for a lot of people. Well, here, the same, the same thing works. Look back at your past conversations this past week, these past two weeks. Is your speech building others up? Or is it, is it more of the same, more cause to the problem, more cause to the, the division that we're experiencing in this world? Our speech in Christ, in new life, needs to unite brothers and sisters together, not divide brothers and sisters. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not some thing it's not some it. It's not some force. He is a person. He is a motive. He has feelings. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we use our words to tear down, not to build up. So we've got to move from hurtful speech to edification, building one another up in love. Verse 31 and 32 let all bitterness and wrath, is, is this not just, it's like God's sovereign or something. I mean, we stopped Ephesians so long ago and we thought it was about COVID and now we find ourselves in almost a new world overnight that is burning itself to the ground and God, here we are, Ephesians chapter four. Man, we need this. God is speaking to his people. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The last verse you ever want to read if you're mad at somebody. And let's, let's not forget what we learned in the Gospel of Matthew. If you bring your gift to the altar 
And there you're fixing to make your sacrifice. But you remember you have ought against your neighbor or against your brother. God says, I don't want your offering. You put it down on the ground and you go fix what's wrong between you and your brother. Then you come back and then you can worship. These are the words of God. What's this, what's this movement? We've got to move from bitterness to kindness. We've got to move from holding grudges to forgiveness. It may be one of the hardest things we ever have to do is to forgive someone who has hurt us, to forgive someone who has wronged us, to forgive someone who's stuck that knife deeply into our backs. But we need to remember we were the reason that Jesus was nailed to that tree. It was our offense towards God that he stepped in and took from us. It is he who from the cross, those who were professionally murdering him, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The mature in Christ are able to live on a higher plane because they're not trapped in that, that old self. They're living a new life in Christ Jesus that empowers them through the Holy Spirit to forgive those who have wronged and not to become bitter, but to be kind. Let me ask you, the, I've only got four minutes, but let me ask you a question. Because Jeremy Brandon back there on the back wall, he's got this thing he always says about wanting to grow in Christ and mature in Christ to where he's just a sweet old man. And I've, I've kind of adopted that for myself. I, he's way sweeter than I am. I'm trying really hard to be sweeter. But to, I want to be a sweet old man. But here's what I know. That's not just going to happen on its own. I don't know if you know this, but there's no magic age where an old person just all of a sudden loses all the trappings of the attitudes they've had in life and they just become kind. We know it's the opposite. People become bitter. I mean, I've seen some old folks sitting in church, usually in back rows with their hands crossed like this. They're not going to worship. They're not going to smile. They're not going to be happy. Why? Because in 1937, their brother took their girlfriend and... All right, and that bitterness has grown into hatred and hurt. Right? And they sit old with frumpy faces and frowns. Listen, if you want to be a sweet old man, a sweet old woman, you've got to move from bitter, holding on to all the little things in life. Right? I know he's stealing my pens. I brought a new pack of pens and whatever, at work, at home, in our families, at church. Did you know there are people, there are people who used to come to our church. God did a work in their lives. I've got letters they wrote me about man, how they never understood the gospel. God's been so good. But they've left our church because some, some woman said something about uh, her and it hurt her feelings. And right now they're separated and alien. Now they're still Christians, hopefully at another church, but they don't come. They're not part of our family, our life anymore because bitterness was let in and they held on to it and they couldn't get past it and they couldn't forgive that, we, we've got to move from bitterness to kindness, from holding grudges to forgiveness, the way that Christ forgave us. Chapter 5, verse 1, let's read quickly. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Listen, if you're in the room and you're like, oh, Brent, I hate this chapter. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm conv- Remember, you're, you're not condemned. What we feel when we read things like this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing us into maturity in Christ, drawing us to be better reflections of Him in this world. He shows us and operates on us to, to, uh, to help us understand what, what we need to rip out and what we need to replace it with. And all this, again, in the beginning of chapter 5 is centered in the gospel. We are never going to do this perfectly in earth because only one person did it perfectly His name is Jesus. And our movement from the old to the new life in Christ is is due to him and because of him and grounded in him. We can learn to forgive because we've been forgiven. Amen? We can learn to not hold a grudge, to not become bitter because Christ did not become bitter with us, but instead was kind and came all the way to where we were. He is our example. Verse 3, but sexual immorality, that word is porneia, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now the first thing let me point out is verse 4 is sandwiched in between verses 3 and 5. All of it, because I have had people tell me, you shouldn't tell jokes when you're preaching because the Bible says you shouldn't be joking. That's dumb. <laughs> That's just not good hermeneutic. The, the entire context of verse 3 through 5 is sexual immorality. So that crude joking, that's that locker room talk uh, for, for you guys and girls who grew up in public high school like I did. Right? That, that's that talk about other people and what we do uh, or what we would like to do. Uh, that's the kind of, of crude talk, foolish talk, filthy talk that is being spoken of here. It's clearly within the context of sexually immoral people. What is the final sixth movement of moving from the old self to a new self? It's moving from sexual immorality and deviance from God's design for man and woman in the context of Christian marriage. It is moving from deviant understandings of immorality to God's plan uh, for marriage and for sexual activity within marriage. There is the bed of the marriage is undefiled, right? It is not crude or dirty. It is beautiful and wonderful as a, a husband and a wife explore one another and love one another. But anything outside of that is immorality, That includes uh, cohabitation if you're living with someone you're not married to. Uh, It includes uh, having sex before marriage. Uh, It includes uh, adultery, having sex with someone who's not your marriage partner. It includes all forms of homosexuality. It includes all forms of even self-pleasure as sexual immorality. Porneia, the word, is a junk drawer term that means anything outside of what God has ordained. We've got to move from sexual deviance, which again was very popular in Ephesus 
Two minutes late, but let me give you a quick quote. I think it's from Cicero or some other Roman historian. At this time, in the first century, he said, we have our wives to bear us legitimate children. We have our mistresses uh, to, to keep us healthy and full of vigor. And then we have prostitutes just for fun and pleasure. Right? This is the world Paul is riding into. And our world today is not much different but not so for the people of God. We're to move from the sexual deviance that is rampant in the world, and we are to move towards God's plan and will for a husband and a wife within the context of marriage. And again, these six big ideas, let me repeat them for you quickly. We've got to move from lying to truth, from anger to self-control, from stealing to labor that benefits everyone and generosity, from harmful speech to edification, from bitterness to kindness, and from sexual immorality to marriage. This is how we take off the... Notice sex, drugs, and rock and roll didn't make the list for the new self. (laughs) These are the things that we got to move from the old and into the new, and Jesus Christ is our example, and he's our hope, because we will never do these perfectly, but we can wrap ourselves and clothe ourselves in Christ Jesus and his work for us, and know that our feet are on the rock. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word in the midst of a, a, a turbulent, trying time. Your word is truth. Help us to be the solution in this world. In the name of Christ, so that Christ may be glorified. May we be able to not bear grudges, but to show kindness, to forgive where we've been hurt. Father, may we move from anger, Father, to to loving one another, to self-control. May we move, Father, from the old to new life in Christ Jesus. Help us better reflect you in this world. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, Go in the grace of God that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. We'll see you next week.